Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, it's all about you. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. Phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743 if you'd like to call in. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a message on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So my brother Darren will be back on Monday, but he is out today, so it's just me here in the studio. I'm going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Got a bunch of great questions that came in today. Uh, before I do, I, I guess I again want to encourage you, and we've been talking about this quite a bit lately. If you're in the northern United States and you look outside today, it's the end of March, and you go, you know, the old saying was, if March comes in like a lion, it's supposed to go out like a lamb. Um, it's been like a lion for about five months here in the northern United States. It's been one of the worst winters we've ever had, worst since 1969, most snowfall since 1969, one of the coldest on record, one of the longest where we've had snow, one of the biggest years with snowpack. Um, hasn't been super fun. Uh, roads, are, country roads are terrible. And some people are still moving snow. I went past a snow drift yesterday on a road just 10 miles north of us. Oh, my goodness. It's, seriously, right next to the road. It's still 20 feet tall. I, I'm not joking either. It was 20 feet tall for uh, not quite a quarter mile, probably an eighth of a mile. It was a long stretch. 20 feet tall right next to the road. I'm going, oh, my goodness. It's April 1st on Saturday. So, anyway. My point here is when you start looking around and you think, well, it should be warm and I should be able to get in the field soon. And then you keep seeing snow or for that matter, let's say you're in the southern United States and it keeps raining and you can't get out of the field or get out in the field. You're going, um, this is pretty frustrating. So I'm here to encourage you today. Hang in there. Eventually, the snow always melts. Eventually, the ground always dries up. Might not be on your timeline or mine, but we'll get there. And so we got a lot of great things happening in agriculture. Crop prices are still pretty good. We've got fantastic technology. Very often when people start feeling sorry for themselves, I'm just like, all right, let's just think back to like even my grandpa, for example. Um, pretty rotten equipment, not much for herbicides, um, not very good prices at all, horrible yields constantly fighting everything from weeds, insects, diseases. I mean, it just started hybrid corn. I mean, oh my goodness. You compare, look at where we've come in just a couple generations or travel to a third world country sometime. I don't care how bad it gets here on my farm. It's never going to be that bad. So anyway, look on the bright side of things. We'll get there. Just hang in there. Stay strong mentally and uh, get get started on the planning, too. We, we've been talking to a few guys lately that they've barely started any plans for spring. And I go, wait a second. The, the frost is very uh, shallow this year because we had so much snowpack. So once the snow is gone, I mean, just a few days and you might be able to go. So it is a little bit deceiving out there compared to normal. But anyway, I, I again, just want to encourage you uh, just stay strong. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And we'll get through this spring and hopefully have some fantastic crops this summer and this fall. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. 
First question comes in from Hussein, who says, what's the withdrawal period after spraying chlorpyrifos to feed goats? All right, Hussein, I don't know where you're from, but I would just say here in the United States, they've taken chlorpyrifos or Lorsban off the market for all food and feed uses, so you can't spray chlorpyrifos in anything that is going to be grazed. In foreign countries, the pre-harvest interval will vary. It could be three days. It could be seven days. It could be 14 days. I don't know if chlorpyrifos is still labeled in your country what that pre-harvest interval would be. All right, next one is from our friend Scott out on the West Coast, and he said, Hey guys, uh, one idea for spreading the word on the very many positive aspects of biofuels would be to have a ready-made supplement for college-level chemistry 101, like general knowledge chemistry courses. Uh, this, this supplement would contain the facts that we would assume are well-known but are not. Many even brilliant college or university professors and the general public are not aware that the byproducts of ethanol are high-protein feed, carbon dioxide that only fizzes our sodas, but uh, it's also an important ingredient in the fracking process to assist in the production of domestic energy supplies. The fact that without biofuels, energy prices, especially gasoline at the pump, would be much higher. I know of one university or chemistry professor, university chemistry professor that purchases ethanol-free fuel pretty much whenever available because even though it's approximately 7% greater in price, he calculates it provides 15% better fuel economy. Uh, I believe that if the pro-biofuel lobby were to combine their research into a chemistry 101, like chemistry uh, for our society uh, and, and just some course materials, it could be very economical or a very, it could be a very economical way to spread knowledge of the viability of the U.S. biofuel market. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Scott. I, I would say, and one of the things that you mentioned in there, the greater fuel economy, that's a myth. That's absolutely a myth. If the computer is dialed in right, if the compression ratio is dialed in right, or let's say it could adjust for the ethanol, keep in mind ethanol is way higher in octane. And so I, I go back to even, this was, I think it was 1996. I got a Ford Taurus. It was one of the first flex fuel cars, and that's the reason why I got it. Drove it for five years, tracked every single mile that I drove. It was over 100,000 miles. And my fuel economy running E85 versus either E10 or E0 was within one mile per hour. So it was like 22 versus 23 or something like that. And again, if the compression ratios had been dialed in exactly right, I think it would have been dead on. And I saved a whole bunch of money by being able to run E85, at least at quite a few stations. There are a lot more stations running on E85 now. And the other thing is, I would say Minnesota corn, corn growers ran this study a few years ago and found that E30 actually had the best fuel economy in even just regular cars. So, yeah, we agree with you. Biofuels are important. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we are broadcasting from the Morton Studios today. Just taking uh, your phone calls right now. We're going to jump to the phone lines. Got our friend Tony Wendler calling in. He's with Farm Shop MFG down in Iowa. Tony, how are you today? I'm excellent, Brian. It's... uh there might be an end to this winter. It looks like it, although I think you're getting snow. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm hoping it's just going to be rain for us and no snow today. But, hey, I had a question for you. The last few days I have talked to several people that have said, yeah, I had a bin go bad. And I'm like, oh, no. Grain is worth so much money right now. But I get it. I mean, we've had some sunny days and some warm temps, and then it goes back to super cold. There's been some moisture and things like that. So can you tell us maybe a couple, three things that farmers could do to try to avoid this and kind of what you're seeing out in the country this year compared to normal? With the, um, I guess, with the compared to normal, one of the things with the cold temps, things like that, uh, seeing uh, um, some of my bins I was trying to keep above freezing, cooled down to below freezing. And that's just the fact that a bin is like a big chimney. When the wind blows across it, it sucks cold air in the bottom. And it will cool the whole bin down, not just the sides. Um, and you got to keep working on it. That's where that you really need to run your fans once a month, uh, kind of working with the temperature that you put the bin to bed with. So uh, mine in the... Uh, Low 30s, uh, once a month for three or four hours, run the fans in the low 30s, above freezing, and keep that thing equalized out. And that is really, if you're doing that, it is tough to let a bin go bad when you've got consistent temperatures through the winter. Now, as we come into the spring, we're going to need to bring that, that green core temperature up and keep it within 10 degrees of the outside Although 
I don't let mine get really warm in the summer. I try to keep it south of 70 and prefer like 65. So I'll be ventilating my bins at night in the summer to uh, maintain if I'm storing some grain into the summer. So it's really running those uh, fans uh, once a month for four weeks makes a difference. In the summer, you're going to have you'll find you'll have to do it more frequently because of uh, you were mentioning that skin on the bin changing temperature. Yep. The sun really changes that dramatically right. by heating up that south side. Yeah, so, and, I, and I think that's one of the things that maybe caught a couple of the guys that I talked to because I, I mean when you even when you stand outside when the sun comes out it feels pretty hot even here in the northern united states and then that sun goes under and you're like oh wow yeah that's a, a massive change yeah it, that sun can have huge huge impact and if you you just wait for a, a warm winter day when the sun's beating on it and just go feel that skin on the bin and uh, how much different that feels to uh right. what else might be going on around you uh, oh. and that something really dramatic there. Don't leave your hand on there too long. You might burn it. But hey, uh, one other real quick thing. We may have some varying soil conditions this spring too because we've got areas out in fields right now that are bone dry and then other areas that still have some snow like in the low grounds and some of these areas. So talk to us real quick about closing wheels and how things could possibly work here with these varying soil conditions I expect we're going to run into. Hey, you, you went right into something I wanted to tell you about. I got a call from Dave down in Oklahoma here earlier this week, and uh, he had been planting corn on uh, Saturday and Sunday in very dry conditions. Basically, the, the moisture was right at the bottom of the furrow, and he had his planter that was half with germinator closing wheels with our inner shoulder and half with twisters. The uh, And... He had heard uh, through our conversations that the inner shoulder would uh, firm that seed down and enhance the wicking and moisture. And he called me up on Monday and he said, Tony, that is really true. That uh, those uh, eight rows that had germinators wicked moisture up. Those seeds are all in a wet zone. The ones with the twisters, all that seed is sitting in dry dirt waiting for rain. And, and it's absolutely an impact. The... Um, so in wet conditions, so I'll segue from that to your question, wet conditions. Uh, you've got that sidewall smear. It is tough for corn roots to uh, go through that. Right. You need to destroy that sidewall and then uh, squeeze all the air out. You've got clumpy, wet soil. You need to squeeze the air out to get that seed to soil contact. Right. And uh, that's your big implication. Get back there, dig on your planters. And what I like about our product is that inner shoulder uh, squeezes the air out, the spikes destroy the uh, sidewall, and uh, you're going to get that firm vein, whether it's uh, moisture ground or dry ground. And uh, Germinator is the name for them. That's what they do. If you want to learn more about what Tony Wendler's doing, just go to farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thanks for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Let's go down to Missouri next. Got Jeff calling in. Hey, Jeff, how are things down in your state today? Uh, pretty good. Um, we're uh, today. It's warmer than it has been. Uh, really windy. Had some rain, uh, but uh, yeah, it's probably sixty-five, seventy today. Um, getting getting ready to get going. So. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you. If you've started planting yet, or when you you are thinking you're going to be able to start. 
uh, as soon as it dries out, I thought maybe we might be able to go here Sunday or so. Um, but then we got some rain today, half an inch at least. So, um, you know, as soon as it dries out, I think we can get going. So, um, I saw some guys putting on some anhydrous, uh, the last day or two here. Um, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, it's, it's getting ready. So here, be a little cooler next week. But yeah. That's okay. So here in the last couple months, there's been a lot of volatility with fertility prices. I mean, a lot of fertilizers going mm-hmm. down now and chem prices are all over seed. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the grain markets. That's what really, what everybody's talking about. Is any of that stuff impacting any last minute changes you might make on the farm? Or are you basically sticking with your normal crop rotation? Uh, normal crop, um, basically 50%, you know, corn and beans. And we got, you know, we do have a little bit more wheat acres this year, but not, not very much. Sure. Yep. Yeah. So, so most of our fertilizer went down <laughs> when it was a little bit higher, but. Well, um, it's kind of the same thing for us. <laughs> yep. That, we, that way we can get ready to go as soon as, in yep. as soon as it dries out, we can go. So. Yep. Yep. Same, same thing for us. We're, we're, we're uh, lockstep with you. Um, hey, with, <coughs> with your corn and soybeans down there, what, what are the biggest weed problems that you're facing? Is it Palmer, water hemp? I mean, what, what do you have to, what are you most challenged with on your farm? Water hemp. Yep. So. Have you found something that's great in soybeans, or what are you doing to keep it at bay? Um, not really. I mean, we've I mean we we kept it at bay, but it's uh, um, this year we're going to use. Uh, I mean, we start clean, obviously that sure. big thing. Yeah. Um, and then um, this year we're going to use some uh, Authority Supreme and yep. uh, Glory or yep. Metribuzin, I guess. Yep. Um, and we're going to try some feeder MTZ, mm-hmm. um, and then just come back and usually just spray once so far. So are you with it, Liberty it, and Enlist? Yeah, that, that was what I was going to ask. So, so you got Enlist beans and, and yep. you're doing the combination of in Liberty or of Liberty and Enlist? Yeah. Yeah. That's working. We did not do it last year because Liberty was so expensive, yeah. but, um, it, yeah, it really works well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's one of the it's best things. But... Yeah, that's one of the best things that I've ever seen is when you put that combination together, and you're dead on. Uh, it's kind of spendy, but if you want every weed killed, uh, yeah, that certainly does it. Hey, Jeff, we get to run, but uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it. Hope things dry out for you just enough for you to get this, the crop in the ground, then you get some good rains and stuff. So anyway, thanks a lot for calling in. Thank you. Yep. Yep, bye. Again, it's Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, we got some phone lines open right now, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag again a little bit later in the show, but right after this, we'll go back to the phone lines with your calls. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio in Baltic, South Dakota, I'm Brian Hefty here on Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Jumping back to the phone lines, got our friend Jeff calling in from out in Illinois. Hey, Jeff, how are you today? Doing all right. Going to dodge some storms this afternoon the way it looks. So in your area, when do people normally start planting corn? Uh, I believe it was that 2013 or something, there was corn the last week of March, but usually after April 1st. Yeah. So how about on your farm? What, what, what are things looking like? How soon do you think you're going to be out there? That kind of thing. Uh, we're still finishing up horseradish harvest. We'll have that uh, going for a couple more weeks. Uh, need to get horseradish planted before our H2A contract expires. So really need to focus and push on that. Uh, but yeah, we've got all our seed corn and beans in the shed and planters hooked up. Sure. So other than picking which field dries out and putting seed in and rolling, we're as close as we can get, I believe, at this point. We've done our radio show here for 10 years now, and 
I, I think on one hand, I can count the number of horseradish growers we've talked to, but, but we visit <laughs> often with you about horseradish. Tell us just a little bit more about that because for, I'll bet you 99% of our listeners, they don't know when horseradish harvest planting happens. I mean, barely even what a horseradish plant looks like. So the horseradish is growing throughout the winter and then you harvest. Tell, tell us just a little bit about that. Yeah, so we're, it's a cloning process. We're saving uh, small roots off of the, what we're harvesting to replant. So we're planting something the size of your thumb to the size of a pencil, uh, horizontal, about two inches deep in the soil. Uh, we are on 36 inch rows. Um, I don't know, 34. I've heard from a neighbor, whatever. So, uh, we're not on the standard 30s, uh, with the corn, um, planting about 8,000 roots per acre, uh, with our, uh, finger pickup planter. That means you finger pick up each root and drop it down the tube to the ground. Um, so that's, yeah, we make all our own equipment and modify potato equipment to work for some of the situations. So we're planting early spring. Uh, there's some people in the area that have a little bit planted already um yeah we'll get that planted here shortly as soon as the field conditions are right then uh very limited herbicides that we're using soybean herbicides that more herbicides would work but have not been approved by the epa with testing so that's what cuts us back on our uh number of options then uh the saying is harvest any month with an r so that'll get us (laughs) september to april yep but there's years that we roll an r into may and sometimes even into june when we have a wet (laughs) spring or a cold winter yep um so we usually try to get corn and soybeans harvest pretty well finished up uh and start horseradish harvest mid-november um yeah, with the this is our second year of an H-2A contract, having employees coming in on that. So it's a little bit more structured that you don't just look for the locals anymore, that they've all disappeared, got different jobs, whatever. Um, but yeah, we will double our yield from November 1st to March 1st. Well, why don't you harvest it all in the spring? Well, right. say, why don't you harvest all your corn in a week? It just, it can't happen. So, uh, and it's good to get that uh, product moving in the fall to mix with a little bit of leftover that the the grinders have from the previous year, just like mixing in new corn. The hogs will eat a lot better at that point too. So um, just, yeah, you got to keep the flow going. So you mentioned as long as it's not frozen, we can get out and get some more harvested that I think that was, uh, right at New Year's that we harvested, and then that got the shed full, what we would call the first cooler, like a wet holding bin, and then yep. the employees in the shed could work of two weeks on that. So uh, we don't have to be in the field every day. Half, half, um, yeah, most of the work's in the shed to prepare the roots on pallets to ship them to the grinders. You mentioned the H-2A program. How many employees do you like to have when you're going through horseradish harvest and planting? Uh, so we've got 
an eight-row planter, so you need a person on each row, and then two people opening the pallets, getting the bags out, setting the roots in front of the people, uh, putting them down the pipes on the planter. Uh, so that's an easy 10 plus a driver and an extra person for when somebody doesn't feel the best, you yep. keep going. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we can look for that dozen. Uh, we've got uh, six on contract is what we've done the last couple of years. Sure. And that's a, a good uh, core group that we can get things done that we could we could just have them and fill in the gaps on the planter with our own, uh, yeah, locals and our own bodies. But we usually are in corn planters and hydrous applicators <laughs> running as well. So. Yep, yep. All right, interesting stuff. Hey, Jeff, it's always great talking to you. We want to wish you the best as you uh, you go through all that that horseradish harvest and seeding and everything else you have happening on your farm. Sounds like a busy place. So, anyway, thanks a lot. Good luck. Stay safe. Thank you. You bet. You as well. All right, we got Glenn calling in from down in Georgia. Glenn, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian, I'm doing fine. Yourself? Excellent. So we were just talking to Jeff about his crop of horseradish. I know you raise a variety of crops as well, so what's top of mind for you today on your farm? Well, um, we're planting. Uh, we're finished planting field corn, and uh, we're, we're planting sweet corn. Still, we, we, uh, in April, we'll uh, ramp up and plant more every week of sweet corn. And uh, we'll start planting peanuts next month uh, in April, about mid-April. And we're harvesting carrots now. <laughs> so tell us a little about the carrot crop. When do you seed it? When do you normally harvest it? I want to know a little more about carrots. We... we plant some in september october november mm-hmm. and we try and harvest uh mostly in february march and april and uh we had a christmas freeze this year which was unusual severe freeze and it, it burnt all the tops off Ooh. so we had to uh wait and regrow new tops so we, we have to have tops to harvest our harvester grabs the tops and pulls them up so we have to have tops to be able to harvest them. got it so what's the biggest key to getting the most production out of your carrot crop each year what is it is it fertility is uh, it weed control i mean what what do you have to do weed control um uh, it's not too hard we 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 are able to spray low rocks over the top so that's really good, but in the in the fall, uh, you know, we do have nutgrass problems. You know, so okay. that we don't have much for nutgrass on carrots. But uh, the low rocks pretty much cleans up all the weeds. Um, the other challenges is is fertility. We use it use they use a lot of fertilizer. I mean, we're we're toting out. 30 tons of product out of the field so you can imagine it takes a lot of fertilizer to <laughs> yeah. produce that yep and uh and then also disease is is a thing too uh alternary and sclerotinia sure well hey uh glenn it's always great talking to you um 
we uh, we're up against a break here, but okay. uh, I, I I just wanted to let you know um, we appreciate uh, w- what you do, and thanks a lot for calling in and everything. Uh, for anybody listening, if you just go to glenherdfarms.com, so that's G L E N N H E A R D farms.com you can learn a little bit more about what glenn's doing down there in the state of georgia hey glenn thanks a lot for the time today appreciate you calling in thanks brian thanks for what y'all do too thank you all right right, it's farmer friday here we're going to get back to your questions in the ag phd mailbag coming up right after this You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. At AgPHD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free AgPHD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPHD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop.
Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Again, if you want to call in, 844-44-AG-PHD or email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, so Chuck sent us an article here, and he said, I thought you guys might find this article interesting. I, I hope that, uh, so, and let me just explain here. The article was, it says, Kansas farmers provide input and experiences to guide EPA policy. <laughs> anyway, uh, Chuck here says, I hope the EPA listened and take these farmer words and not some environmental groups. I listen to you guys as much as I can. Keep up the good work. Maybe I can get up to your field day this summer. Thank you, Chuck. I, I, I would say, just as, as a farmer and, and agronomist, so I've lived here in South Dakota my whole life, grown up on the farm, lived in the farm most of my life, and been involved in agriculture my whole life. So we as farmers have small businesses. Well, I mean, anymore, it seems like it's pretty big business. But the, the point is this. We don't have this enormously huge company where we've got this big board of directors that we have to get things through. And it's just, hey, if we see something that we think is going to improve our farm, we know it's good, it's going to make money, good for the land, everything else, we do it. And it's done. And we move on. We don't have to have committees and public hearings and put out notices and talk about the thing for five years. We can just do it. So <laughs> since uh, the government involves a lot of people, and I, I mean, I get that, and there are all kinds of different interests out there, it's always going to be a challenge whenever you're working with a government agency. Um, I, I would say this, though. We can make a difference, and people who do have some common sense can make a difference out there. It's going to be frustrating a lot of times because it's never going to happen on the timeline that we as farmers would like, but we just have to continue talking and talking and talking, and hopefully people look at actual facts and science because what frustrates me the most is when they take hearsay and people's opinions on things rather than actual real science to make decisions. So anyway, uh, yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of challenges there certainly with the EPA. And, and I would say this too, they have a big job and we appreciate what the EPA does, trying to keep things safe here in our country. It's just that sometimes it feels like as farmers and agronomists, it gets pushed a little too far. All right. Gordon sent in a, uh, a soil test here, and he had a few comments and questions as well. So Gordon is from over in Michigan, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, definitely from Michigan. Uh, okay, so here, here it is. He said, here are the results of some soil samples I did at different depths in two fields. Um, also, I've got, as you can see, lighter, some lighter soil and some heavier soil, so two different, two different fields. Anyway, I, I, I sampled at 0 to 3 inches, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, and 12 to 24. I'm curious, how do my results compare to what you typically find? Basically, what I think I, I'm seeing here is nutrient levels are going down as the sample depth got deeper. And yes, Gordon, that is typically what we find. He says, I'm also surprised to see that the result for some of the nutrient levels uh, with, uh, with, a feel, with my fields, like magnesium, calcium, and even CEC and pH, those numbers all went higher 
as I went deeper with the samples, that kind of surprises me. Uh, one other surprise was seeing the sulfur levels higher in the lighter soil sample compared to the heavier soil sample. I thought it odd. All right. So on those two comments, Gordon, I would just say this. In your light soil, you've got like on average 13, 14 parts per million of sulfur. That's very little. In your heavy ground, you have eight. So it's inconsequential. I don't view that as this dramatic thing, and there was anything that was really that much different. So in both cases, we would call those both really low. And I know on your soil test, it says that even 12 parts per million of sulfur is considered high. Yeah, that's not high. That is not high. Especially in a sandy soil like that, you're going to probably lose a bunch of that before your crop actually can use it. Uh, anyway, the other thing is, as as you went deeper in the soil profile, the soil got just a little bit heavier, uh, especially in the heavy ground, and nutrients got lower, and that's very common, but we found more calcium, more magnesium, just like you said here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, sometimes that does happen. Your soil may be different than somebody else's soil, but this is fairly common where we see, like even where we farm, I'll find that exact same thing. So I've got what we would call good topsoil up above, and then below that we have a heavy clay subsoil. And with that heavy clay, eventually we can drop some of that stuff down. We can lower the pH a little bit. We can make it more fertile, but we have to get air in there and we have to get some nutrients in there and we have to change that balance in the soil just a little bit. Because, for example, like in your 12 to 24 inch range in the really heavy soil, and this again is not unexpected, but you got 1% base saturation K, you have 84% calcium. So it's telling me a couple of things. Number one, there probably isn't a lot of air that's that's going down there, but definitely there there are not a lot of nutrients down there. You have 10 parts per million of phosphorus and 99 parts per million of potassium. So one of the things we've shown at our soils clinics here over the last few years has been the the soil tests from Francis Child's farm and the soil tests from Herman Warsaw's farm. These were two guys in history who raised tremendously high corn yields years ago. And part of the reason why we like talking about that is, well, like Warsaw, he was raising 300 bushel corn 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Think about that. Unbelievable. But, and then for Childs, he was raising 400 bushel corn 20, 25 years ago. Well, <laughs> when you look at their soil test, you can kind of see why. They did a good job balancing soils, and they built soils deeper than just the top three inches or top six inches. Now, with a sandy soil, naturally, things are going to move down in that soil profile easier. So it is easier to change almost everything in a sandy soil, and you can change ratios like almost instantly, and it costs very, very little because the soil flat out just will not hold much. So it's it can be easy and cheap to change things, but by the same token, you have to be really paying attention every year because some things can change dramatically in a short period of time. So if you were soil testing in your sand once every four years, in four years, a lot could change. So you really have to pay attention to that. Um, anyway, uh, at the end here, Gordon says, I realize I can't put a whole lot of value in only two cases of sampling from our farm. But uh, anyway, I was just curious what 
what you guys thought and if there's anything I could learn, anything that stuck out to you guys in this report. Oh, and by the way, uh, just for giggles, he says, I still like the rumor that next year's Neil Kinsey gathering might be in Orlando. <laughs> My wife and I attended Commodity Classic there a couple weeks ago, along with spending three days at Disney World. Uh, we should have done that 30 or 40 years ago. He goes, all that walking and waiting in line at Disney was a bit much for this Medicare age couple. Anyway, the weather sure is nice in Orlando. No snowdrifts to worry about. Don't need uh, any long johns either. Just saying. Uh, yeah, Gordon, we'll have to talk about that a little bit. That might be a possibility. Go somewhere warmer next year when we have Neil Kinsey out. We are planning to do that again in February. All right, Rex has an email for us. He says, guys, I absolutely positively love your show. I'm a hopeful future farmer, and uh, I, I'm always kind of sad to hear about weeds. Um, and how and where can I hear more about the Weed of the Week? So, Rex, every week on our TV show, we do have a Weed of the Week. We we put that that content out there on a pretty regular basis. If you go to agphd.com, you can find that if you happen to miss the show. But otherwise, we're on RFD TV and a number of other stations around the United States. So anyway, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully you don't get too sad hearing about the weed of the week. We're always going to have weeds. I wish that we could somehow just eliminate the weeds, but it simply does not work that way. Mother Nature always finds a way around whatever we come up with for tillage, herbicide programs, rotation, you name it. <laughs> Something always seems to change, and then there's some other weed that shows up. All right, we got a little bit of time left today. If you would like to call in again, 844-44-AG-PHD or email us radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. The weeds are coming! The weeds are coming! Hey! I'll repair! This whole midnight ride thing is getting real... But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming! We've got Verdict Herbicide! Verdict Herbicide? Yeah! It's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then. Get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, 
and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. The hardworking independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. This is Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. This one comes in from Wade. He is in southwest Minnesota. He says, I got a couple questions for you guys. I live streamed your two soil health workshops. Uh, both days were excellent, and definitely, I, I definitely appreciate you guys taking the time to do them. Uh, yeah, so I, you think he's talking about our soils clinics that we did. I believe that was back in January. Anyway, he says here, I certainly learned a lot, so thanks. Uh, now, I work as a seed and forage consultant, and I enjoyed, enjoyed you guys talking about silage and even alfalfa. I was just wondering if you had any experience with seeding two to three pounds of red clover with alfalfa. Um, no, that's not something, Wade, that we've done. Uh, I, I mean, we could maybe give that a shot. Anyway, Wade continues here saying, we've been doing this red clover alfalfa mix uh, quite a bit, and it, it's worked real well with a bunch of dairies that I work with. It brings the tons up just a little bit, and also from a feed standpoint, red clover is about 10 points higher in digestibility and double the bypass protein compared to alfalfa. They seem to work very well together with many benefits. Might be a little tough getting it dry for dry hay, but from a haylage standpoint, it's great. Just wondering what your thoughts were on this, and thanks for your time. So, yeah, Wade, I, I, I like the concept of that, but no, we have never tried that. The dairy that we're working with wanted us to put in just straight alfalfa, so that's what we did. But uh, maybe we should give that a shot, and uh, and I'm going to actually write that down, and we're going to talk to a few people that we know and see if anybody else around this area is doing that. All right, next one comes in, and uh, and we just got a comment on one of the videos that we had put out there from Ag PhD TV. Uh, this is from Great Mind Big asking, is two bags of NPK containing 271313. Okay, for one hectare of sorghum, I am in Africa. Um, well, I don't know how many pounds are in a bag, so I'm going to apologize here. I, I, I can't answer that question but I for sure. But I will say this. For me to make a recommendation of anything, and you're asking here about NPK, um, I, I, it's hard for me to do when I can't see your soil test. I'd really like to see what that soil looks like. And here are a couple of reasons why. First of all, you're putting on nitrogen. If you have really light soil and lots of rainfall, 
So again, I don't know what area you're from, how much rain you get, how light your soil is, or any of those things. But anyway, if you had really light soil and lots of rainfall, it sounds to me like you're going to be putting a fair amount of nitrogen out there. Well, that could leach away, and that, that wouldn't be wise. So you would be ahead to apply a little bit at a time and go from there. Another example that I will give you is this. Let's say that your ground already is really super loaded up with phosphorus and it was short on zinc. Well, you put a whole bunch more phosphorus out like it sounds like you're going to and now you're going to cause more problems than you're going to help because your zinc levels are low. Maybe your copper levels in relation are low. We're looking not just at total pounds. We're looking at balance of nutrients in the soil because what we've found as we've done on tens of thousands of points now of data comparing P and zinc and P and copper and so on. If you don't get those ratios right, you hurt your yield. So you can put more phosphorus out and you think, oh, this is going to be great and I'm putting fertilizer on and then your yield goes down. Um, that That is not what we're after. So it, it, there is a lot more to this than just saying, hey, can I put this NPK in my ground? Um, I, I just, as an agronomist, I, I, I would be doing you a disservice if I just said, yep, that sounds okay. You should be fine. I really want to see what the soil test looks like. So if you, if you can get that, if you can send us some more information, I'd appreciate it. And then maybe we can help you a little bit more. All right. Next one comes from Jason down in Kansas. He says, I'd appreciate some advice on controlling wild onion or wild garlic. Uh, we are mainly minimum till in a minimum till operation and we grow wheat soybeans, milo, and corn. Okay, so Jason, you already told me why I'm, or I believe you gave me a hint as to why you're having some of this problem. You said minimum till. And that means different things to different people. So I'm guessing you might even be going no till here and there. Well, this wild, wild onion or wild garlic, it is a perennial weed. So it, it, if you aren't doing tillage out there, you aren't hitting it from time to time with that, it's a lot of times going to continue to spread because if you're running low rates of herbicide on just about anything, uh, probably not going to do, do you a whole lot of good here. So I, I would say this, Roundup is the best thing typically for perennial weeds. So if you can use some some Roundup in your burn down, great. If you can use Roundup in crop, if you have a Roundup ready crop, awesome. That's the best way to go. The biggest thing that I would say is you got to make sure you're using a really strong rate and you don't want to do any tillage in advance of that because you want to get all the way in through the perennial root system. ALS, sulfonylurea herbicides, a lot of people talk about those that they can help. Um, also, dicamba and 2,4-D, a lot of people talk about those and just say, um, yeah, they're not the best unless you're using a really high rate. And then finally, I would say gramoxone, paraquat as a burn down. But the big thing is you just want to keep hitting it hard with broadleaf herbicides. Not real common uh, for you to get full control out of one shot of any of these things other than Roundup, maybe at a really high rate, because this is a perennial weed. But if you keep hitting it and keep hitting it, then eventually you're probably going get to it, get it licked. But yeah, I'd be going pre and post with the best broadleaf killers you got, and hopefully over time you'll get that thing stopped. We're going to jump back to the phone lines. Got Bruce from Minnesota. He's got a comment for us on the red clover and alfalfa. Hey, Bruce, how are you? I'm, do I'm doing good. Um, you were 
giving some information on red clover and alfalfa, and I have another comment on that. Sure. I use that combination, and if you do use it, um, your the potato leaf hoppers don't show up. Really? It keeps you from spraying. Really? Yeah. I never heard I that. I have before. no idea why, but it works. <laughs> well, it sounds like this is something we better try in our in our research over here because we're we're starting to raise quite a bit of alfalfa because this big dairy by us, and there there've been a whole bunch of dairies that have moved in right around here. So, I mean, it's it's been great for all of us having a good local market and everything. But I, I mean, this is the first time we've raised alfalfa. We we seeded a bunch last year. It's the first time we've raised alfalfa on our farm in over thirty years. So, gotta gotta kind of get back into that again. But uh, anyway, how about like what Wade was saying earlier with it is better, a little bit better for tonnage and then maybe a little bit better for, for digestibility. What have you found with that? And that's entirely possible. I haven't checked that much of it, but sure. I was I was at a seed dealer at a, where I got it and he's kind of an old style operation and a fellow, another fellow was in there that was buying seed and he wanted some red clover. And he asked him why he wanted red clover. Well, he said if you put in a couple pounds of that with the alfalfa, you'll never have to spray your alfalfa. He says, I've got a neighbor who does everything right, you know, uh-huh. uh, round up alfalfa and everything else, and he sprays many times, and yep. I don't ever spray mine. <laughs> All right. We're going to give that a shot. Hey, Bruce, thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it. Sure enough. Thank you. You bet. It's one of my favorite things when we throw something out there and then somebody calls in and says, hey, yeah, I've done that or here's what I know about that. So we're always interested in learning more. I often tell people this is one of my favorite things about doing Egg PhD Radio is it makes me a better agronomist and it makes me a better farmer. I'm learning something almost every day. All right. Last one I got here is from Winston in the Philippines. He says, we plant a little bit differently. We plant hybrid seed, and then right after planting, we put on 50 bags of fresh chicken manure. Uh, A couple weeks later, we put on two bags of urea and two bags of uh, 14, 14, 14, and then spray some herbicide. And then about a month after planting, we put on more urea. After that, we do two times foliar, and the yield on average is four tons per hectare dry. Please help us to improve the way the, the way we're farming because we're not improving our yield. Winston, I'd love to see your soil tests. And also, I am guessing we're talking corn here. I'm not even sure what crop we're talking about. But I... I I just want to know a little bit more information. So if you could send us some more information, anything you've got, what are what are your soil te- what do your soil tests look like? Exactly which herbicides are you using? What are your biggest issues that you think out there for weeds, insect diseases, all that kind of stuff? So yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. I would say like on our farm, the biggest things we always focus on first, it's drainage and then it's fertility. And then we start looking at everything else. But yeah, give us some more information and we'll see what we can do to help you. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Before we go, just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was producing the show for us today. Thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.